You guys heard of Muhammad Ali? Is anybody Muhammad Ali? You laugh at me, but you know, there are people that haven't heard of him. So, you know, he's considered to be the, the best heavyweight boxer of all time. And Muhammad Ali, is, there's a story told about him that he was flying one day on a trip going somewhere and the plane hit some turbulence. And so the captain came on and said, please fasten your seatbelts. And the flight attendant went through the cabin to check and make sure everybody had fastened their seatbelts. And she discovered that Muhammad Ali was the only one that left his unbuckled. And she looks over at him and she says, sir, I'm sorry, but you need to buckle your seatbelt. And he looked at her and said, ma'am, he said, Superman doesn't need a seatbelt. And she looked back at him and said, Superman doesn't need an airplane either, so fasten your seatbelt. <laughs> you know, I share that with you because in a larger context, we all sort of have that same understanding, don't we? We have this understanding or we live life with this idea or maybe this belief, as foolish as it sounds, that we're invincible. That we can do whatever we want, we can defy the laws of logic and we can defy the the evidence out there, we can eat however we want, ignoring the evidence that our diet only promotes heart disease, to one day finding ourselves sitting across from a cardiologist being told that you have heart disease and you're surprised because you thought yourself invincible. And we do the right things, we exercise, we eat right, we pray every day, we read scripture, we come to church every Sunday, we're here early, and then something bad happens, and we're surprised. How do we handle that? How do we deal with that? How, is there an answer for that? And today's text in Job, I believe Job does give us that answer, surprise, the scriptures tell us there's an answer for that. And Job is a great witness to walking through life with pain and suffering. And the key to that, Job tells us in today's text, is wisdom. And so we're going to turn to Job chapter 28. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you, bring your Bibles. I'll say that until I die. Bring your Bibles. And, you know, you can write in your Bibles. It's not against the law. And you can do that and actually take notes so that when you read it again, you can, like, I can't believe I thought that then. I know so much more now. And you have that experience every time you you encounter the word. So it's good to be reminded of those things. And so today we're going to look at what Job has to say about wisdom and how wisdom can help us in the midst of trials, in the midst of suffering. And there's three things that I think we learn in this text. The first one is that in the wisdom, in the midst of trial, that we can find that there's an order in wisdom. That there's an order to wisdom that Job will reveal to us not only in creation, but in wisdom itself. And the second thing we learn is that there is a value to wisdom that is beyond anything we can imagine, but we're ignorant of it, is what Job tells us. That's comforting. And then the third thing we find is that there is, though, a source to wisdom, that wisdom does exist. And he reveals to us this morning the source of that wisdom that helps us in the midst of trial, in the midst of pain and suffering. And so let's turn to Job chapter 28, And I'm just going to summarize some verses for you. But here Job begins with this text. He says, There is a mine for silver in a place where gold is refined. Iron is taken from the earth and copper is smelted from ore. Miners put an end to the darkness. They search out the farthest recesses for one, for ore in the blackest darkness. See, Job's saying that men have discovered that there's valuable things in the earth that there's things like gold and silver, and we've placed value on them, and there's rubies and and diamonds, and there's sapphires that are hidden away in the earth, and men have figured out how to get at it. 
Men have acquired a knowledge of these things and have devised ways to dig in the ground and bring this stuff up. And there's all this, thing, there's all this wealth that's in the earth. But he says there's an ignorance to that too because the animals of the field and the, and the birds of the air, they don't have that knowledge. They're ignorant of that fact. They haven't seen what man has seen. The eagles and the falcons that soar over the earth, they miss it all. But man has been given this knowledge. Man, in a sense, has this wisdom of what we can do and has this skill because he has knowledge. He's been given this knowledge. And in this text, we see there's an order. And we're reminded of Genesis where God created everything in order for a purpose. There was a plan. And everything was created in order to bring man onto this planet. The whole universe the stars in the sky were all placed there for a purpose so that man could walk and breathe and live on this planet. There was a pattern to things. And as God started creating living things, there was a pattern in order to that as well. And the pinnacle of his creation was man because that was the purpose of his creation, that we could breathe and live and walk on this planet. And he endowed us with this mind that we could understand things, that we could figure things out, like how to get into the ground and crush rock and dig tunnels and mine for gold. But he did not give that to animals. So in comparison to animals, our wisdom and knowledge is far above the animals, is what he tells us. We have a knowledge that the animals do not have. Now, I want to make one distinction about this, because we see this in Scripture. We see that there is knowledge and there is wisdom. And while they're related, they're not synonymous. While they're related, they're not synonymous. This is what we know about knowledge. Knowledge is facts, information, skills, things we accumulate through experience, through understanding, through education. We come to accumulate this knowledge. We come to accumulate the knowledge that we can dig into the ground and how we do that. We understand how that's done. But that in itself is not wisdom. Wisdom is different. Wisdom could be said to be the application of knowledge, the right application of knowledge. What do we do with the information that we have? How do we apply it? And in the scriptures, it tells us there's a difference between just intellectual wisdom and the wisdom from God. The wisdom from God, the wisdom of all time, has a moral component to it. How do we live life on this planet? How are we meant to live here now? Not just by ourselves, but in relationship to one another, because we are not alone. So how do we make use of the knowledge that you have intrinsic worth, that you were created, how I'm to live and treat you, how we're to handle war and, and suffering and oppression and poverty? That there are solutions to that, but not just that there are solutions, but why we should bring those solutions to bear. That's wisdom. The knowledge of God and his plan and his goodness, that he is the designer behind all of it, that's wisdom. See, knowledge can exist without wisdom. But wisdom cannot exist without knowledge. There's an order. We must have the information. We must have the understanding. But just because we, does, we have the understanding doesn't mean we have the wisdom to use it. Right? Knowledge says, go ahead, do it. 
Odds are you're not going to get caught. Right? Wisdom says one day you're going to have children, and they're going to ask you what you did in this situation. What will you tell them? You know, knowledge says there are a lot of women in the world. Wisdom says marry this one. Right? Knowledge says the light has turned red. Wisdom applies the brakes. Knowledge says you can create dinosaurs. And wisdom asks, but what if they eat you? <laughs> Maybe you shouldn't. You can have knowledge without wisdom, but you can't have wisdom without knowledge. Just because you have knowledge doesn't mean you're wise and know what to do with it. And so there's a difference. And Job goes on to tell us that there is a wisdom that is more valuable than we could understand, that it's not just about knowledge. And that wisdom is the, of highest value. And we should spend a lot of time pursuing it. But he said we're ignorant to it. <laughs> we don't know where it exists. We can't find it. He asks in the next section, he says, but where can wisdom be found? Where does understanding dwell? Here's his answer. No moral, mortal comprehends its worth. It cannot be found in the land of the living. He's saying we kind of know it's out there. We understand there's wisdom. We, we, we've seen the knowledge of God in the creation, in the universe, in, in the human being. We've seen this knowledge, and there appears to be a wisdom behind it because there's an order to it. There's, there's an understanding. There's a pattern to everything. We see that there's a big bang, which kind of tells us that there must be a big banger, that it just, just didn't happen. So we understand it, but we can't grasp it, or just out of our reach. We've heard rumors of it, but we as mortals, we can't comprehend its value because we think value lies in knowledge, and we're convinced of that. You know, we've been convinced of that since the very beginning. In 1961, the Soviets sent the first astronaut or cosmonaut into the, into the space, into outer space. Yuri Gagarin, a, a, a Russian cosmonaut, was the first human being ever to enter outer space and to orbit the globe. And when he did so and he returned, they had a big celebration in the Soviet Union. And the premier at that time, Nikita Khrushchev, an atheist, used that opportunity to put forth his platform that God does not exist and that the Soviet Union would be a people built upon knowledge. And this is what he said when Gagarin returned. He said, Gagarin flew into space, but didn't see God there. We went up into the heavens, and if there was a God, we'd expect to see him there. We put telescopes into outer space, and we looked farther than we've ever seen before, and we see that there's no God there. And thankfully, God gives wisdom. And thankfully, God brought C.S. Lewis to be. Otherwise, you'd be stuck with one of my analogies or one of my stories. But here's what C.S. Lewis said. He says, us relating to the creator God is not like a person on the first floor relating to a person on the second floor. We can't just go into outer space and expect to find God. He said, it's more like this. It's more like an actor in a play trying to relate to the author. He says, Hamlet, to understand who Shakespeare is, doesn't just go into the lofters of the theater, into the theater to see Shakespeare. In order for Hamlet to understand who Shakespeare is, Shakespeare has to write himself in to the play. He has to write some information to Hamlet about himself. 
And he says, if there is a God, the God that's created everything, we can't just go up to the second floor to find him. He must reveal himself to us. He must write of himself in the story. And that's exactly what he's done. He's written to us in the story and revealed himself to us. That's what Job says. We can't find him, but he's revealed himself to us because he is the source of wisdom. Job goes on to say, he says, God understands the way to it, to wisdom, and he alone knows where it dwells, for he views the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. Not only does he see it, but he's the source of it. And he has made it known to us. He has given us this brain, the ability to understand the order that we see in the universe, to see the intricacies in the human DNA and see that as a work of art, not just haphazardly put together, but put together so precisely that we could exist, that we could live and breathe and understand that we live and breathe. God has given us that knowledge, but he's also told us why. See, knowledge can't tell us why. Wisdom can tell us why. What does it mean that there's order in the universe? What does it mean that I'm put together precisely? What does it mean? It means there's someone that's done that. That's what Scripture tells us, that it's God that has done that. He is the one that's spoken in to the story, and he has created everything. And Job says he's done that with wisdom, because God is the one that understands. God is the one that has created it all. In fact, all of Scripture testifies to that. Solomon writes about it. David writes about it. That everything that we see, everything has been created with wisdom and by wisdom. That there's an order that we see in the universe. There's an order that we see to life. And God is the author of it. And there's a purpose for it, for his purpose. But there's also a second truth. And the second truth that Job tells us is that there is evil in the world. That while there was an order, everything was created to be exactly the way it was, that things didn't last. That evil entered the world through the transgression of man. And because evil came, there's fallenness and brokenness in the world. And things are not as they should be. Wisdom is understanding that there is order. That things were created with order for a purpose. But wisdom also teaches us that things are not as they should be. And as we look around, we see fallenness. We see sin in the world. And that itself should testify to something. Remember Job's three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, the three wise men that come to Job to explain what they see. And they come ignorant. They come with a foolish understanding of life. They come with an understanding that there's order. They see the order. They believe God is the author of it. They believe he's created everything. But what they're ignorant of is the sin in the world and the fallenness and brokenness all around us. And if they were to pause for a moment and to really think and to use their minds, they would see through experience of their own lives and those around them that things aren't as they should be, that you can do everything right you can pray every day, go to church every week, you can read your Bible every day, you can be faithful, you can confess your sins, you can repent, and still 
things go upside down. See, they're foolish to that. They weren't wise. But then we're also given this understanding today. We see there are those that say God does not exist. They deny the order. They believe it's chaos. It just came. Time plus matter plus chance. There is no order to things. There is no big banger. There is no God. And they deny that truth exists. In fact, our universities are full of professors that, that teach that. Right? And Ravi Zacharias says we send our students there, and the professors teach them that truth is relative. And they graduate, and they go into the world, and we put them in jail for, teach, for doing exactly what the professors told them. To deny the fact that you can lie and cheat and steal and get away with it. And when you're caught and you're punished, there's shock and there's surprise. Because I thought truth was relative. At least that's what I was taught. And so they experienced the pain and suffering of their foolishness. Of denying the moral order of things. Of denying the created one who has created everything for a purpose. And in this creation, he's made a moral order. There is an objective moral standard by which we live. And when you transgress that moral order, there are consequences. And so there's two things that we must understand. There's an order in wisdom, as we see through Job. But there's also a fallenness that we understand, that we must have both truths if we're to wisely walk through suffering. So what does this have to do with suffering? Let me ask you this. Have you ever noticed people or had people that you know that cared for and loved and observed them as they've gone through just a horrible time, as they've suffered in their life, the loss of a loved one or the disease or the, the dying of a friend, and yet in the middle of it all, they're calm and they're peaceful and they're soft. But then you have those people that go through the same experience and they become bitter and hard and calloused and confused. Why is that? Why is it that one person can go through the same experience and come out softer and even wiser, and others experience and are shocked and confused? And I think Job gives us that answer too earlier in Job. Chapter 3, Job says this pearl of wisdom. It says, what I feared has come upon me, what I dreaded has happened to me. See, Job is wise. He understands that everything was created for a purpose, that there's order in things. And he also understands that the world is fallen, is broken, that there's sin in the world. And he knows that there's nothing special about him. He knows there's no inherent goodness in him that will keep him from suffering, that will keep him from these things, because here he says he's not surprised by it. He's expected it. He's not shocked by the fact that he's suffering because he's expected it. It's not a surprise to him. See, Job, we have the pain of suffering that we see, and the pain is not escapable. We understand that. But what doesn't add to Job's pain is the shock of suffering, is to think himself above the world, that he can do so many things to keep himself from suffering. He understands he's a part of the creation that's falling away. He's a part of the creation that's broken. He understands that when pain and suffering comes into his life, it's not a surprise. 
It's not welcomed. He doesn't, he says he dreads it, but he's not surprised. And so not only does pain stay where it should be, it doesn't grow because the shock of suffering can cause people to be overrun by suffering, can, can cause them to be undone by suffering, can cause us to be bitter and surprised and hateful. And Job says that's a foolish thought, so foolish that it will exacerbate your pain. It will make the pain worse than it is. But wisdom can bring pain into perspective. It can't lessen it, because pain is pain. But it can keep it contained, and it can allow you to endure it. And it will keep it from being more than it is. Because wisdom says that there's a purpose in life, and there's a purpose in pain and suffering. But there is an order to things. But things have not remained that way. There's a fallenness in the world. There's a brokenness in the world. But God is making all things new. But what do we do with the pain? Wisdom helps us deal with the shock. But what do we do with the pain? Job tells us here again in that last verse of 28. He says it's the fear of the Lord. That is wisdom. And when we read that, I want to make clear, it's not about being afraid of God. It's not being frightened by him. That's not what he's saying. It's understanding that God is God and that he is still God. And the circumstances, the darkness, the suffering, the pain do not testify louder than that. That Job remains in awe and wonder of God. He understands that he himself is sinful. There's nothing good in him. There's nothing that would cause God to call him out better than the others, than anyone else. He understands it's by the grace of God that he has everything he has anyway. So it's not a shock when he suffers, but he has hope in the pain. He understands that even if this pain lasts all of this life, that there's a time that's coming that it will not exist. There will be no more gnashing of teeth. There will be no more dying. There will be no more crying. A time will come. And Job says, I know this. I have a proper understanding of who God is. He's revealed himself to me. And he's revealed himself to be good and gracious and loving. And I trust in him. And the pain will not take that away. And you and I know that. See, it's the fear of the Lord understanding who God is because he's told us who he is. He's given us his word. He's written to us. But not only that, he literally has written himself into the story. He's not just told us a story, but he's put himself in the story. He became one of us so that he could die for all of us. He wrote himself into the story so that we would not have to experience the true pain of death and separation from God. We can trust in God that as we go through this, he's going through it with us. We don't have to be overrun by pain and suffering because Jesus himself came and took that on him. You know, there was a preacher up east in the New England area young family, him and his wife and his young child, young daughter. And one day, his wife is killed in an automobile accident, and he's devastated, and so is his younger daughter. And on the way to her funeral, they're riding in the car, and he's been 
trying to figure out how does he help her understand and deal with this. And as he's driving and praying, this truck passes him. This large truck passes him on the highway. And as it passes, this large shadow passes over his car. And he has this idea. He turns to his daughter and he says, so let me ask you a question. He says, would you have rather been run over by the truck or by the shadow of the truck? And the young daughter says, well, by the shadow, of course. And he says, well, why is that? And she says, well, because the shadow can't hurt you. He says, exactly. And that's what happened to mommy. See, mommy was not run over by the truck. Mommy was run over by the shadow of the truck because Jesus was run over by the truck. And because Jesus was run over by the truck, mommy only had to endure the shadow of the truck. And mommy has not died. She still lives. And because she lives, and because Jesus was run over by the truck, you too will only be run over by the shadow of the truck. I will only be run over by the shadow of the truck because of what Jesus has done. We don't have to experience being run over by the truck. That's what wisdom tells us, that we need not be afraid, and we need not be surprised. <laughs> Because we live in a fallen, broken world, but there's an order to things, and God has been about making things new from the very beginning. And he's at work at this very time, renewing us internally, as we learned last week, renewing us, making us more like his son so that we too can experience that newness now, but the time's coming when we'll experience the shadow, but we'll experience the joy of heaven because Jesus experienced the truck. And so, in the midst of the trial, wisdom comforts us. Wisdom reminds us that we're not alone. Wisdom reminds us that Jesus is with us. He has gone before us, and he will never leave us, and he will never forsake us. I pray that wisdom comforts you. And I pray that with that wisdom, you would comfort others. Come back next week as we explore that further.